You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Mercy is yours from the triune God. Amen. Last week I was talking with a friend who, for most of her life, has kept a diary. And I said that to me, keeping a diary feels like way too risky. Because <laughs> I'd always be afraid of someone getting a hold of it and then knowing the things about myself I'd rather keep hidden. To which she was like, are you kidding me? You've published way worse things about yourself in memoirs than I write in my diary. Anyone in the whole world can read about your damage. True. But not the whole truth. I mean, that's the dirty secret of people like me who are seemingly self-revealing. On some level, it's like voluntarily pleading to a misdemeanor so there's no felony on your record. <laughs> it's really just a tightly controlled PR campaign that on the surface looks like it's the whole truth, but of course it's not. So I've been thinking about the hidden things in me, the stuff I don't write in books, the stuff where I'd rather die than have it come to light, the damage and sin and shame that I can't admit to, and how that stuff is such a powerful force in my life that it's like it's a propeller. I think I'm not alone. I mean, the wounded parts of me, whether those wounds were inflicted by the sin of others or by my own sin, are what keep me in motion. Because I have to try and make up for them or try and convince myself and everyone else that they aren't there, or I have to try and get them healed by the love and attention of other people, even though none of that ever works, but wow, does it sure keep me in motion. I mean, I think that if shame could be bottled as an energy source, it could easily replace fossil fuels. It's weird how many novels we can read and films we can watch where a character's behavior is finally explained by some damage from their past they're trying to make up for, and yet it's so hard to admit these things in ourselves. And this is what I was thinking about all week when I thought about the woman at the well. Because I wondered what propelled her toward a well in the heat of the noon sun and not in the cool of the morning, which is when women tended to go to the well. Just parenthetically, I think it's important to say that all we really know about the Samaritan woman at the well is that she had five husbands, and at the time, the man she was living with was not her husband. But we don't know why. Was she a tramp? Was she a victim? The, later, the latter is so much more likely than the former. And yet, the Samaritan woman at the well has been characterized as a whore throughout history. Conservative preacher John Piper's treatment is characteristic. In a sermon on this passage, he describes the woman at the well as, quote, a worldly, sensually-minded, unspiritual harlot from Samaria. <laughs> but it kind of feels... <laughs> what? Nevertheless, she 
she persisted. <laughs> Amen. No, no, it's not. Stuart for the win. <laughs> it feels like that kind of detailed assessment of her says so much more about the assessor than the assessed. And I don't know about you, but if I went the rest of my life without hearing one more woman-hating interpretation of a Bible story, I still would have heard too many. We don't know why she's been married so often. Maybe she was a teen bride, widowed, and passed along through a line of her elderly husband's elderly brothers. Or maybe she was divorced for being infertile. Maybe she lured men into her trap, killed them after a year of marriage, and just like kept getting away with it, but that's not likely. <laughs> All I know is that no matter if the wound was self-inflicted or inflicted by others or some combination of both, she had a wound, like we all do. And maybe that wound made her want to not be seen by other women. We don't know why she was there at noon, but a safe guess is that maybe it's sort of like why I took my kids to playgrounds at weird off hours. Because while I wanted my kids to be able to play, I also very much wanted to avoid other moms. I would never belong to their mom club, like I could never really relax around them, and so I thought it best to avoid them. Maybe the Samaritan woman wanted to fill her water jar, but also very much wanted to avoid the other women who traditionally would have been there at first light to avoid the heat of the day. Perhaps she couldn't relax around them. Perhaps she didn't want to be seen. Because sometimes being seen is painful, even if it's also the very thing we want more than anything else in the world. Yet that whole plan of not being seen didn't really work out for her. I imagine her walking that day, lost in her thoughts, her head down, the heat of the noon sun pressing down on her, sweat stinging her eyes as she makes out a figure sitting at the well, and she takes a deep breath, braces herself, and make sure not to make eye contact. Which doesn't really matter because for some reason he starts talking to her. Not only does he chat with a woman, a big no-no. Not only does he chat with a woman who's an ethnic outsider, a bigger no-no. Not only does he chat with a woman who's an ethnic outsider who's had five husbands, there really aren't enough no's for that one. <laughs> but this is by far the longest conversation Jesus has with anybody else in the Gospels. All of that is amazing, but what struck me so deeply this week was how he said that he can offer her living water that gushes up to eternal life, and when she says, give me this water so that I may not thirst, he then goes straight to her wound. She says, give me this living water so that I won't thirst. And he asks about her husband. He wasn't avoiding the subject. He was avoiding the BS. You want to stop trying to quench your thirst with things that will never satisfy? You want this eternal life? It starts with being seen. It starts with the truth, the naked truth of 
your original wound and your original beauty and every good and every bad thing about you. You've heard it said that water finds its lowest point. Well, living water finds your lowest point. The living water offered by Jesus Christ finds your lowest point. It flows to your original wound. That thing you spend so much energy trying to heal through insufficient means, relationships, religion, success, more graduate degrees, more therapy, working out, trying to get your parents to love you more. There are a million ways we try to substitute for God and we try to make sure our damage isn't seen. I've mentioned this several times before, but Catholic theologian James Allison describes faith as not as intellectually assenting to a set of three theological propositions. He, he describes faith as relaxing. Relaxing in the love and presence of God in the way that we relax in the presence of someone we're certain is fond of us. When we're in the presence of someone we're certain is fond of us, we're funnier, we're more spontaneous, we're softer, we're less defended. If I know for sure someone likes and loves me, there's no reason to pretend anything. Allison says faith is relaxing. I think this is what happened to the woman at the well. I think living water found a crack in her defenses and trickled down to her lowest point, her deepest wound, her greatest need, and she finally just exhaled. In fact, she relaxed so much, she totally left her water jar at the well. I've always seen her water jar as a metaphor for what we think will quench our thirst but never does. And oh my gosh, do I have some water jars I need to forget about. <laughs> Things I think will make me whole, hide my wound, make me lovable. I need those jars to just slip from my hand without even caring they're gone. Because being known and loved and forgiven in our true form by our true God, can quench our spiritual thirst in a way that no amount of success or admiration or romantic love or social justice work ever can. I don't know why this is God's economy, that our greatest wound, our deepest shame, our greatest sin is also our greatest gift and our greatest teacher. I just know it is. And this is how seen you are by God, good people. That whatever that lowest point is of you, whatever the deepest wound, the vilest sin, the most damaged thing in you, the living water of Christ's compassion will find it, can find it, has found it. You can just leave your jars behind. Amen.